You're listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. Thank you as always for joining us this week. It's been a busy week at Judicial Watch, obviously a busy week for the rule of law and the Constitution with major Supreme Court uh, decisions that in many ways advance liberty. I'll talk about that. Uh, on the other hand, you've had attacks on the rule of law and attacks on our constitutional system uh, through the Pelosi Rump 1-6 Committee. I'll talk about that. And then I have a special Independence Day message for you as well that will, I think, uh, lift the hearts of patriots, even if it annoys the left. Uh, but first up, I want to talk about, uh, frankly, the abuse of power uh, by Nancy Pelosi's January 6th committee this week. Now, remember, that committee is a one-party committee. Now, the left would have you believe, just because there are two Republicans, that it's a bipartisan committee. Well, those Republicans were appointed by Nancy Pelosi. They don't represent the interests of the minority party. So the minority party, the Republicans, have no voice in that committee. So all of its operations are necessarily suspect in the sense they don't have uh, the give and take that virtually every other committee in the history of Congress has had. And then we have, uh, we now know, or we've known for some time, certainly if you've been following me, uh, here at Judicial Watch and Judicial Watch generally, is that the purpose of this 1-6 investigation, this rump investigation, this partisan ideological investigation, is to essentially outlaw criticism of election and uh, uh, tax on election integrity, uh, make it difficult for Donald Trump to run for office by, frankly, attempting to prosecute and jail him. And then, of course, they've been whipping up the Justice Department, their allies in the Justice Department, to target Americans throughout the land who had questions about the election. Uh, so you have, in many ways, uh, an abuse of the Justice Department in league with the Pelosi House that we've never seen in terms of abuse of power in mo at least modern American history. I think you'd have to go back to the early part of the last century, look up the Palmer Raids, and you'll see something similar took place uh, with uh, lawless uh, searches, uh, obviously abusive searches of um, in, in that case, anarchists. In this case, law professors like John Eastman, who was accosted by the FBI the other day, the president's former lawyer, and had his cell phone taken from him. Other people in Arizona, for instance, there are Arizona state legislators who are being subjected to harassment by the Biden Justice Department because they dared dispute and had questions about the electoral process uh, of 2020. And they're suggesting that if you, if you pursue those claims under law, in, as, as the Constitution allows Arizona to do, you're going to be subject to criminal investigation. So obviously, it's not about what happened in 2020. It's about what might happen in 2024. And they don't want the opposition to Joe Biden or opposition to whoever is the nominee for the Democratic Party at the time uh, to uh, raise questions about any election activity and they're just trying to scare people off. So earlier this week, the 1-6 committee tried again because they've been failing to gain any traction really uh, in their uh, partisan ideological attacks on their political enemies. Uh, they are getting their political enemies arrested, which is another matter. Uh, so they came up with this uh, really absurd story presented through an aide, a former aide to President Trump, uh, a deputy assistant or an assistant to his chief of staff, I think her, her title was. And, uh, and she told this fanciful tale that was seemingly absurd on its face, at least to me, 
that Trump tried to grab a Secret Service agent, assault a Secret Service agent, and tried to grab the steering wheel of his uh, agent's car or the van he was in or the beast or whatever you want to call it. Which, you know, it does, doesn't that sound crazy on its face? Obviously, uh, if you're going to put out testimony like that, you better be sure it's solid. But of course, because you've got the Adam Schiff crew running things over there, they don't care. They just say whatever they want. They know the media will just say, oh, a witness testified to this, even though the witness is testifying to second and third hand information and that the principals involved, meaning the Secret Service agents and White House officials involved, said, well, A, they never asked us about this, and B, if they did, we would have told them it's false, and they're prepared to testify that it's false. But, you know, you saw what the conflagration was as a result. But the reality is, it's a sign of desperation by the committee. And as I tweeted earlier this week, it, uh, the Pelosi show trials collapsed this week. They're done. There's no credibility anymore with any serious person uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, even among the uh, uh, mis dishonest media. And uh, now they're moved on to uh, uh, smearing people by suggesting witnesses have been tampered with. So it's gone from there was an insurrection, and we have to see who was behind the insurrection, then they found out it was not really an insurrection, to who tried to overturn democracy by disputing an election, which of course is allowed under our Constitution, to dispute an election, kind of like Democrats do every time a Republican wins, uh, which is their right under the law and under the First Amendment, to Trump wanted to lead an armed insurrection up on the Capitol. So, so they go back there again. Again, further absurdity. To witnesses are tampered with. So it's just like an insane circus. But that all being said, as I said, it's all designed to uh, suppress and intimidate uh, Biden administration critics. Now, uh, but it's also designed to distract from what any sensible investigation of the January 6th incident would entail, which is, well, what really happened there? What was the security situation on the Hill? Why wasn't there adequate security that led to this disturbance? Why was Ashley Babbitt killed? Why was she shot by a police officer for no good reason? Where's the accountability there? All of that Judicial Watch is doing. And so when you hear that witnesses said this and witnesses said that, just know that the committee is yet to release any transcripts of any witnesses. So all the transcripts and all the videos they've taken of witnesses haven't been released yet. So again, it's this one party committee that has no opposition in it to even, even ask questions or do any cross-examination because they refuse to let Republicans appoint anyone sensible. And on top of that, uh, they're hiding institutionally, the Pelosi Congress is, all the videos from January 6th. And let me be more specific, 14,000 hours of video. And let me be more specific than that in terms of additional information. At least 271 emails we know directly involving the U.S. Capitol Police about the events of January 6th. Because we asked and we're suing in court for them. And of course there are other emails that they've referenced, but they won't tell us how many they are. So all of this information is being withheld from the American people. So what are, where are all these emails, Nancy Pelosi? Why are you hiding them? As I've described before, they've gone into court and they've told the court, Judicial Watch can't sue us in court. 
because we have sovereign immunity. So when Judicial Watch says the American people have a right to know what its government's up to under the common law, well, that doesn't, uh, you know, we didn't allow them to do that. We, we have to bless that lawsuit. They, don't, they have sovereign immunity from being sued for access and information by the American people. That's a pretty extraordinary privilege, isn't it? And on top of that, they said, even if we could be sued, these aren't really public records. So videos about what they say is the worst day in American history, emails about what they say is the worst day in American history aren't public records? Of course they are. And he, they said, even if they're public records, the Pelosi Congress says, the public interest doesn't warrant their release meaning it's more important that they be kept secret versus the public interest in finding out what happened that day. So as all of, despite all this noise you hear about January 6th, all these investigations that have shown nothing in terms of uh, misconduct by anyone other than a police officer who worked for Nancy Pelosi's police force who shot an unarmed woman for no good reason, there were obviously crimes associated with the, uh, with the riot and disturbance. There were obviously failures to provide security that she is in part responsible for and her appointees are responsible for, including the mayor of D.C. who is also partly responsible for this. Nothing Donald Trump has done has been found to be either illegal or unethical related to January 6th. So as best I can tell, the only government misconduct related to January 6th are the lies about the security coming out of the House Oper the, the Congress, the lies out of the January 6th committee, misstating the evidence they have and trying to create a narrative to jail innocent Americans and intimidate their political opponents, and then a cover-up in court, a court cover-up for records about what happened that day. So that's, that's, that's where we stand on January 6th. Now, the media won't tell you any of that. And you notice how calm I am in describing it. But I will say there are serious issues here. And as I said earlier, because of the threat to, to our First Amendment and other freedoms and civil liberties. Because there isn't a conservative in town, there isn't a Republican politician, including members of Congress. Now there are hundreds, potentially hundreds of Americans throughout the land who fear for getting involved in election issues because they'll be targeted for criminal investigation and harassment by the Biden-Pelosi gang. So th these are dark days for the Republican in that regard. And, but, but Judicial Watch is going to continue to insist and persist on government accountability through our Freedom of Information Act lawsuits. Uh, we're waiting, for instance, for the court to rule on whether uh, the Pelosi Congress has to turn over any of the videos or emails we've been talking about. We have other FOIA lawsuits pending and investigations pending on the security issues, uh, not only um, as it relates to the federal government, but the DC police, which has an instrumental role in providing security here in our nation's capital. So, you know, we're doing this sort of independent, and of course we've done more work on investigating the death, the shooting death, the only homicide that day was the shooting of Ashley Babbitt. Only Judicial Watch has done anything on that to figure out what's going on. We're, we're the ones in court trying to figure out what's going on. So we're, we're just going to continue doing that sort of basic investigation, uh, investigative work that Congress 
actually not only refuses to do, but is hindering, and that the media has zero interest in doing because uh, they're part of the uh, left-wing mob that wants to destroy uh, half the countries uh, who's, who, who has questions uh, and concerns about the way elections are being run in this country. I told you last week about the uh, great Roe versus Wade decision. I guess it's not called Roe versus Wade, but the decision overturning Roe versus Wade, which restored the ability of states to uh, extend uh, the protection of life to unborn human beings. Of course, the left, led by Joe Biden, is terribly upset about that. You uh, got vicious attacks on the Supreme Court. Uh, the revolutionary left, which is guiding much of the political narrative in this country and the big media, uh, is talking about destroying the Supreme Court, talking about destroying the Senate, eliminating the Senate, uh, providing abortions on federal lands, I guess turning federal lands into killing fields uh, for uh, the unborn. Uh, this culture of death is, is, is screaming. Uh, but the good news is the rule of law just marches on. And the states slowly and surely uh, have already protected the lives of the unborn in their jurisdictions or are moving that way quickly. Now, there are various state court fights and things like that that are going to pop up. But the reality is that there are human beings who are alive today who may not have been alive last week thanks to this decision by the court. And it's not because of a court-imposed mandate on the states. It's the court removing itself from its inappropriate uh, mandate that abortion be legal in all the states. So what's going to happen in the long run is that you're going to have fewer abortions in America because most people support some restrictions on abortion. Now, I believe life begins at conception. I think that's a biological fact, and all unborn human beings should be uh, protected under law. And I know some people dispute that. So, but under the current state of the law, that dispute is going to be resolved democratically in the states. So what's going to happen? Some states are going to say, oh, we need to protect as many unborn lives as possible, and there'll be severe restrictions uh, on the ability to kill unborn human beings. Other states like California, you know, will be funding uh, the killing of unborn human beings throughout the entire nine months of pregnancy. And, and mailing out free abortion pills all across the land. Who knows? You know, that you have that uh, far, far, uh, that's far extremist position of, on behalf of abortion. Uh, but no matter how you slice it, uh, we're going to have fewer abortions in the land. And the left is unhappy with that. And that, I think, should tell you something. Now, what Judicial Watch has been doing, and we, we will continue to do, is to uh, promote the rule of law and expose government misconduct and issues that I think the American people and we think the American people should be alerted to in terms of the operations of their government. For, and as I talked about last week and I've talked about before and it's worth repeating again, the harvesting and trafficking of the organs of human beings killed by abortion paid for with tax dollars. We've exposed that and we will continue to expose that because A, it's still being supported by the Biden administration. I don't know if the monies have gone out recently, but they've turned the spigot back on. But I encourage you to go back and look at the materials we've uncovered there. We'll knock your socks off in a horrific way. We have the receipts for body organs, heads, used to create humanized mice 
with your tax dollars. Imagine seeing a credit card receipt for the organ of a poor unborn human being killed through abortion. That is Roe. And let's hope it's no more just like Roe is. People are wondering what we can do at the federal level. And the least we can do uh, is ban the use of, of fetal organs of unborn beings killed by elective abortions for research. If you want to do that, you know, I'm sure the Chinese communists have no problem with that sort of barbarity. But in America, you would think we would. But there were other good decisions last week. I don't want to get too far afield. We had that Second Amendment ruling that I talked about, which is already making America more free because now you have more liberty to, to, to defend yourself under law in many states. There were two key First Amendment decisions, uh, one related to Maine, where Maine was uh, making available to taxpayers or to, to parents uh, cash from the state to send their children to schools. And they said you could use it for any school you want, on the, if it's, as long as it's not a religious school. And the Supreme Court said you can't do that. <laughs> you simply can't do that. You, you can't discriminate uh, against a school uh, for, uh, in terms of providing a benefit simply because it's religious. So that's a great victory for religious freedom and will open up opportunities for religious-based organizations to participate more fully in our nation's public and civic life. Glorious days ahead in that regard. And then secondly, there was a big decision in what is called the Coach Kennedy case. Our friends at First Liberty Institute uh, have been litigating that for years. You should go back and look at the, the, the ping pong back and forth as it went up to the court and then up to the Supreme Court, back down again and then up again. Uh, but in the end, uh, a big victory for religious freedom. Coach Kennedy was uh, a coach who was praying after the football games in the middle of the field. And uh, he would do it quietly at first, and then the students started doing it with him, and then the other teams started doing it with him, and the school uh, board went crazy. Uh, they uh, told him he can't do it. They tried to restrict him. Uh, so he started doing it um, again. Quite, he, he Essentially, it, it worked out so that he made sure the kids weren't doing it with him. I mean, we want to tell you how terrible our First Amendment laws have been in terms of the interpretation of so-called separation of church and state that, you know, a coach couldn't pray with his kids after a football game. That's a whole other matter. So even after he was doing it quietly in the middle of the field by himself, they still came after him. And the court completely rejected the idea that a coach couldn't pray after a football game by himself in the middle of the field. I mean, the idea that the Supreme Court had to step in and remind uh, a school entity, public school entity in this case, that uh, you've got to protect the, the ability of your employees and Americans to freely exercise their religion, I'm glad it happened, but uh, it's been years and years of the court trying to uh, implement uh, the left's attack on religious freedom. You know, they believe that any school official who says anything religious or does anything religious is an establishment of religion. And obviously that's not the case. And the court said no. 
there are two aspects to the First Amendment in that regard. Government wasn't supposed to establish a religion, and it wasn't supposed to interfere with the free exercise thereof. And the left would have you believe the two were intention. It was the exact opposite. They worked together. And that's what the Supreme Court affirmed. So that core First Amendment freedom, the free exercise of religion, is, is vindicated again and furthered under this court. And then there was this big decision on um, remain in Mexico. Unfortunately, Justices Barrett and Kavanaugh sided with uh, Biden's efforts to uh, blow up the rule of law at the border. You know, I read the decision quickly. I didn't read it as closely as I did the other material yet. You know, but it struck me that um, the Supreme Court got it wrong and essentially endorsed executive vetoes of laws that had been passed into law and that he's supposed to be under, by his oath, following and obeying. So the case, the good news is that case is not over in the sense that that dispute is not over in terms of there's still litigation about the unwillingness of Biden to um, attend to his oath of office. But I would highlight, again, that the Supreme Court is not the end-all and be-all in terms of the entities uh, who are supposed to be protecting our, our liberties and our nation. Congress has a role, obviously the president has a role, and the states have a role. And when Joe Biden isn't doing his job, what can Congress do? They can use the power of the purse to direct and curtail his activities, or if he's violating his oath in an egregious way, they can impeach him. So, you know, just because the Supreme Court blesses something doesn't mean it should pass muster with those of us concerned about this growing crisis. We've had, we had that terrible incident in San Antonio, 52 innocents. I know, yes, I know they're illegal aliens and all that, but they're innocents. They should not have been, they died in that terrible truck incident in the back of a truck. A direct consequence of the lawlessness on Joe Biden's border. And thousands and thousands in record numbers continue to overcome our border. And it's one thing to kind of look the other way, but then the Biden administration is, is, is aiding and abetting the smuggling operations. There's a story we highlighted in our Corruption Chronicles blog talking about how uh, they've, uh, cr they're creating this giant facility in North Carolina for kids to come into. So these kids are being smuggled and we're f helping that smuggling operation get them to another location in the United States, you can just imagine what's going to go on at that facility. What a nightmare. So the Supreme Court, I think, dropped the ball there, uh, but I'm highlighting the fact that, of course, Judicial Watch is going to expose what's going on and try to stop it where we can. It doesn't mean the ball can, should be dropped by either the Congress, and I understand the Congress is controlled by allies of the president right now. But I can tell you that if Republicans take over, they're not going to want to do the accountability work that I'm talking about. They have to be pushed. I've worked with this, uh, I've worked with Congress longer than I care to admit to. I think this is now my 24th year at Judicial Watch, right? I think it's, yeah, 20, it's my 24th anniversary.
July 1st. And um, sometimes Congress gets good information out, sometimes, but most of the time they're hapless and feckless and uninterested in doing the basic oversight work that is incumbent upon them, giving the amounts of money they're taking from us and, and spending on these government operations. So there's a lot of work to be done. And the left is also very angry at another Supreme Court decision in which the conservative majority, all six conservative justices in this case, uh, Roberts throughout, every, you know, it was Roberts and everyone else, so it was 6-3, uh, overruled the Biden EPA's uh, effort to essentially take over our nation's economy <laughs> under this uh, uh, clean power plan or whatever the technical term was it was for it. Now, what had happened was Obama first came up with the scheme. The Republicans were put in control of Congress in the middle of his second, you know, I think in 2010. Uh, he couldn't get anywhere with Congress, so he said, well, I'm just going to have the EPA take over the economy by, trans by transmogrifying a law that was very narrowly uh, written to give the EPA broad authority to essentially outlaw fossil fuels in our, in our, wor in our country. In summary, the left was upset that uh, the Supreme Court ruled that if the EPA is going to take over the entire economy, Congress has to pass a law giving them that power, and that the president can't uh, interpret a law that had nothing to do with that to pro provide this unbridled authority to the EPA to essentially move all of our energy creation from being based on oil and gas and, and coal to, you know, whatever fanciful energy plans they had uh, in terms of the green energy world. Basically a massive restructuring of the economy. And the court found in areas of major questions, major questions where you've got the significant political and economic impact by these regulatory agencies, gonna, there's got to be black letter law, very specific, authorizing that by Congress. Now, they're all angry about that. And it tells you something that the left continues to be angry at being told they have to go through the systems of self-government in order to pass laws. You saw that with the abortion cases where they were angry. The Supreme Court said, oh, we're, we're, not, we're not allowed to come in here and tell the states on how to protect life one way or another vis-a-vis -vis abortion. We were wrong to do that, to take away the people's right to govern themselves on this very sensitive topic. And in the case of Biden, this is the third time they told the Biden administration, you can't take very narrowly constructed and written laws and turn them into um, some, uh, some lever to do things that aren't envisioned by the law. And when you do that, you're acting as a despot. And it's a and, and what I liked about and I, I'm with two minds about the Supreme Court this time of year because, obviously, given the nature of our work, Judicial Watch, we're always very interested in what the Supreme Court is doing. But I think the Supreme Court has an outsized role in our nation's constitutional system that's beyond what the founders envisioned. And you know, we're we're almost always waiting for what the Supreme Court says. Well, you know, the Supreme Court is just one branch of our government. But in this case, the Supreme Court is performing a public service and a service to our constitutional system by reminding us and reinvigorating the notion 
uh, behind our, the, the creation of our constitutional republic of the separation of powers. And I talked a little bit about this before, but I'll, expl I'll, I'll go over it again. Separation of powers is not a term that, an academic term that you learned about in civics class that you can forget about. It's something that we need to hold dear if we want to preserve our freedoms. And the idea of separation of powers is that these powers that the government has are just awesome in terms of having great, you know, the great ability to do damage and uh, uh, harm the people's liberty. And so in a well-run government, you try to try to diffuse that power among, as the founders called it, the departments of government. So that no one agent of government has special power or special abilities to mess with people without running into other government officials with, some, with, with um, countervailing interests. It's a check on our government on behalf of our liberty. And I encourage you to read uh, James Madison's Federalist Number 51 because he talks about this. And uh, I'm going to quote it a little bit here. And I think it's, you know, on Independence Day, I think we should talk about the founders a little bit more. And it's a, it's a lengthy piece, so I'm only going to quote a little bit of it. But the great security against a gradual concentration of the several powers in the same department, and by the several powers meaning the executive, legislative, and judiciary, consists in giving to those who administer each department the necessary constitutional means and personal motives to resist encroachments of the others. The provision for defense must in this, as in all other cases, be made commensurate to the danger of attack. Ambition must be made to counteract ambition. The interests of the man must be connected with the constitutional rights of the place. It may be a reflection on human nature that such devices shall be necessary or should be necessary to control the abuses of government. But what is government itself but the greatest of all reflections of human nature, on human nature? If men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. In framing a government which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the governed, and in the next place oblige it to control itself. A dependence on the people is no doubt the primary control on the government, but experience has taught mankind the necessity of auxiliary precautions. And of course those precautions are the separation of powers in the Constitution. And what I loved about Madison's insight here is he's, he's talking about these uh, uh, the importance of separating the powers among the judiciary and the legislative branch and the executive branch, but he highlights the involvement of human nature in that. His point is you're going to have congressmen who don't want anyone messing with them. You're going to, want to, you're going to have presidents who say, you know, who have a personal interest in being powerful presidents. You're going to have judges who are going to be uh, jealous of their authorities under the Constitution. And he thinks that, you know, when he says that, that human nature in, in, with a great Republican structure of a separation of powers that will do best to separate the liberty. It's just such a brilliant insight. And of course, this is what the court is trying to do with this EPA case. It's whether or not, if you can't get Congress to do what you want to do, does a president get to act as a despot? Does he get to act as a dictator? Does he get to get his agencies to say, yeah, well, 
In order to do this, typically we would need permission from the American people through their congressional representatives, but they're not going to give it to us, so we're going to do it anyway. And we'll see the system work. And the Supreme Court said, no, you can't do it that way. Now, sometimes Congress is willing to let the president do that. And it doesn't mean that Congress has the ability to uh, allow the president to be a despot either in terms of giving him unbridled power that's explicit to destroy our liberties. So there are all these balances and checks in place. Now, the left doesn't want to talk about this. They want to talk about the planet being on fire. They want to try to uh, destroy the Western economies through their green energy socialism and the Constitution and the structures of a Republican form of government, our constitutional Republican form of government, are to be cast aside whenever it gets in the way. So this is the danger we're facing. We have this court, thankfully, elevating our constitutional system and the radical left uh, becoming uh, crazed in opposing it. Uh, and as I said, it's a revolutionary period. But the good news is, dear friends and patriots, is that because of these decisions, uh, America is more free this Independence Day than it was last Independence Day. And I encourage you uh, to, uh, you know, I just read uh, from James Madison's Federalist uh, Papers. I encourage you to learn more about uh, the Founding Fathers. You know, pick a book, read it. You know, a lot of, what I love about uh, the reach that Judicial Watch has is that we, I know there are so many smart people, great Americans, uh, who know so much more than I do about uh, issues of our day and certainly of our history. You know, what, what are some good books out there that uh, your, your fellow Americans should be reading about the founding? Put them, put them below. You know, share the wealth. And uh, so we increase the understanding of the generation that founded this country uh, and so that we're able to keep uh, the freedoms and liberties they uh, sacrificed so much, uh, not only to uh, give us, but, so, but also the generations that followed, they also sacrificed so much to give us this, this legacy. And the more we know about the legacy, the better. Now, one thing I've been doing over recent years on July 4th to celebrate the holiday is to uh, read our Declaration of Independence. Uh, again, it's one of these documents you hear about, but you rarely hear read, uh, except obviously this time of year. Uh, and even then, it's not even read. And it's designed to be heard in many ways, and you'll see that when I read it. So as I said, this is a great Independence Day. I, I am joyful this Independence Day because I know, for instance, there are unborn human beings who are alive today who might otherwise not have been but for the removal of this anti-constitutionalist Roe abortion regime. I know Americans have more freedom today because of Second Amendment rulings. I know we have better self-government or more self-government today because of other rulings constraining the deep state's despotism. So it's a great day to celebrate our Independence Day, and I think the Founding Fathers would approve of some of the developments in the last week. And I'm going to honor them by reading their seminal work, uh, the most significant document, arguably, um, outside the Bible uh, in, terms of the, in terms of the history of man. And with that, I will read you the Declaration of Independence. In Congress, July 4, 1776 the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another 
and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind require that, requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of, it is the, right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. He has refused his assent to laws the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance unless suspended in, op in their operations till his assent shall be, should be obtained. And when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people unless those people would relinquish the right of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing with manly firmness his invasions on the rights of the people. He has refused for a long time after such dissolutions to cause others to be elected, whereby the legislative powers incapable of annihilation have returned to the people at large for their exercise, the state remaining in the meantime exposed to all the dangers of invasion from without and convulsions within. He has endeavored to prevent the populations of these states for that purpose obstructing the laws of, for naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migrations hither, and raising the conditions of new appropriations of lands. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their salaries. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. He has kept among us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of our legislatures. He has affected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. 
He has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our Constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation. For quartering large bodies of armed troops among us, for protecting them by a mock trial from punishment of, for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states, for cutting off our trade with all parts of the world, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, for depriving us in many cases of the benefits of trial by jury, for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses, for abolishing the free system of English laws in a neighboring province, establishing therein an arbitrary government and enlarging its boundaries so as to render it at once an example and fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule into these colonies for taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws, and altering fundamentally the forms of our government, for suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. He has abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. He is at this time transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny already begun within, with circumstances of cruelty and perfidy scarcely paralleled in the most barbarous ages and totally unworthy the head of a civilized nation. He has constrained our fellow citizens taken captive on the high seas to bear arms against our country, to become the executioners of their friends and brethren, or to fall themselves by their hands. He has excited domestic insurrections amongst us and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers, the merciless Indian savages, whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be ruler of the people. Nor have we been wanting in attentions to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our immigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity. And we have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow these usurpations, which would inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. They too have been deaf to the voice of justice and of consanguinity. We must therefore acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace, friends. We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress, assembled appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions due in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states and they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved and that as free and independent states they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor.
Boy, that gives me chills reading that. I hope it gives you chills as well to remember the stakes that were in place uh, in our glorious American Revolution. And with that, I wish you a safe and wonderful Independence Day. God bless you and your families. And of course, God bless America. Thanks for listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. For more information, visit www.judicialwatch.org because no one is above the law.